Good morning, afternoon, evening, or it's Murray. This is Eagle Eyes on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. I'll tell you what. This week, there was an... In, this was an interesting week to try and actually get tech news to talk about. Solely because... Almost every single tech outlet was hyper-focused on Elon Musk versus Twitter. The way they reported on it, like the entire Verge, their entire front page during my prep day, there was nothing but information about Twitter versus Elon and then their own hilariously hot and bad takes on Twitter versus Elon. But there was other news. I go check on The Verge right now to see if they have, if they actually went ahead and have other news on, uh, that isn't Twitter related. And here's what we have. Twitter, their bad podcast about Twitter, Twitter, a Switch clone running Android, the Steam Deck is not a flop. That's it. I don't need to read the article. Good job. And that's basically it. Twitter and then Twitter. The Verge does realize you can do things other than gather news from Twitter, right? Do you know how many of my stories come from Twitter? Like... Six, if that. Very, very rarely do I cite Twitter because I'd rather go ahead and get some other for some other source for it. But we'll talk more about Elon trying to buy Twitter in a bit. But first, I want to talk about an issue that actually kind of broke this morning on recording day, and it's in regards to the critically acclaimed MMORPG Final Fantasy fourteen. They recently had, in fact, it was this past Tuesday, their big 6.1 patch, which introduced quite a bit of things, like trying to fix Death Knight finally once and for all, and then buffing Warrior again, even though we didn't really need more buffing. But also, the housing system got expanded with a new housing district. For those who don't know, inside Final Fantasy XIV, you can buy a plot of land and put a house on it. All you have to do is buy the plot. This is all with in-game currency, by the way. No real money is involved in this at all, although you can spend real money for discontinued... um, event decorating items, but that's another story altogether. All right. The problem was before, in order to get a house, you had to basically bash your face against the placard of the lot and then prayed you were the first person to click it when it randomly becomes available within a 24-hour period. It was an absolute nightmare and no human being should ever have to do that. And finally, they'd done away with this system. 
they instead implemented a lottery system in which during a, I think they said a five day period. Yeah, it would be a five day period. During a five day period that a lot is available, everyone pays the full amount for the lot. And then after that amount, after the five days passes, they then randomly using a uh, random number generator pick a winner that person then wins the pl- wins the plot they have to claim it if they don't they lose half the money and then everyone else is given the f- a full refund back and also each person can only put in one bid for a plot all right and that's a much more fair way of doing it cuz the old way you basically had to either a no life in front of the placard and just keep clicking like you're some kind of deranged lunatic or you had some form of sanity and just used a bot or a macro. Like the old system basically rewarded people for abusing the system. So the old system's gone, the new system is coming and everything's good, right? Right? Yeah, about that. The first round of these new lotteries is over because a new housing district opened up. So there's a ton of new plots to buy. And people are finding that um, the way it worked is that you'd just be issued your ticket number one, your ticket number two, your ticket number three. And then it would just roll the fir- roll between one roll between one and whatever the highest ticket number was. That's how the system should work. But there's a problem. A lot of people are getting the error message. The winning number is zero. May you have better luck in the future. Accept the full refund of your deposit of whatever the amount was. Refund available until 5 p.m. at yada, yada, yada. It could roll a zero! You can't get ticket number zero! So a bunch of these plots basically went to no one. FF14, their moderator team has in fact report on this. They posted up very shortly after everyone woke up to discover this with a message saying, we have received several reports that the following message appears when checking out the placard after after the result announcement period for the housing lottery sales, indicating that there are no winners. There are applicants, it appears it appears with there are no placards at the lottery. The winning number is zero. May you have better luck next time. Is displayed where there are no winners. We, re- we are investigating and responding to the issue as soon as possible while checking the entries in our database. We sincerely apologize for any inconvenience this may cause. So. My first thought was when they went ahead and developed the system. 
they went ahead and had it so that, you know, the starting number was zero and they never caught it because their own internal testing assumed there would be hundreds upon hundreds of people on each house. Which if you ever saw the old system for housing, there would be like no joke. There would be like 80 people sitting on the placard either having a macro to keep clicking on it to try and purchase it or just going I th- oh god I used to actually know what were the buttons you need to push in the um, accessibility system to click it accurately every time it's like zero zero six no zero zero two zero six zero zero or something like that on the numerical keyboard but yeah they assumed that there would just be you know at least what i first thought was that they just assumed there'd be hundreds so they just tested the whole thing just having a synthetic 100 people try to bay each house and a zero was never rolled because of course your odds are one in 101. Their message though saying that it appears that there are no participants on the lottery suggests that it might've been a bug that occurred when they hot fixed something else. Now the FF14 team moves very quickly. More than likely, by the time this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech airs, this issue will have been resolved. And I'm willing to bet what's going to end up happening is that all the houses that rolled zero, there will be a rollback on everyone involved on those houses, meaning that any sort of guild transactions that actually, I don't know how they do it. No, because we're going to roll back on a server that, uh, on a system this active. Oh, God. I imagine they'll just do whatever they can to re-roll the house somehow. But concerning the fact they mentioned two different kinds of messages that happens, it seems more likely that there was a problem with registering bidders. I don't know. Like the more and more I think about it, the more and more it could literally be anything, but it is absolutely fascinating that this wasn't caught in QA, but then again, if it happened after a, a hot fix, well, that could explain it. How the critically acclaimed MMORPG handles this is absolutely going to be very, very interesting. Now, switching out of uh, 
Someone in chat said they had a registration ticket on under the estate tab, so the registration definitely didn't hiccup. It still could have. Because this sort of thing probably, ha I mean, knowing how FF14 is constructed, it could be that the system that shows your registration didn't hiccup, but the part that acknowledges the registration existed could very well have hiccuped. The thing you have to keep in mind with FF14, despite the fact that it is the most popular MMO right now, is the fact that at its very foundation is a very, 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 very extremely flawed MMO that was very hastily patched and then hastily rebuilt based on the core foundation. They, When they made A Realm Reborn, it's not like they started purely from scratch. There is still the base 1.0 under there, which is a hilariously flawed system. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if there if just one of those systems just failed and didn't record it in the in the database it should have. And you'd think, oh, but it's easy just to have one database. Well, if it needed multiple, it's possible that it didn't register in another. So I I, I at first, my first thought about this was, oh, QA mucked up because they didn't because fewer people participated in in the housing lottery than they expected. But the more and more you think out, the more and more it just kind of seems like maybe it was broken with a hot fix. Anyway, let's shift gears radically and talk about Apple. Oh, Apple. Apple has come out on the stage at the IAP Global Privacy Summit and said that protecting privacy is the most essential battle of our time. And then going on further and further to talk about how closed wall garden ecosystems like what they have in iOS and on the Mac App Store is what's essential to a to a huge privacy-focused ecosystem. And he does have some good points there. It is essential to that sort of thing. And making sure you go ahead and keep everything going nice and smoothly in your walled garden ecosystem in your app store is essential for security. You need to make sure security is your primary focus on those sort of walled garden ecosystems and definitely not focus on just trying to protect a revenue source because if you focus primarily on a revenue source you might let some very bad apples slip through the cracks and then it becomes a major issue some bad apples slip through the craps and it's the, the cracks and it's becoming a major issue Yeah, basically, ransomware is now available to download on both the Mac and iOS App Store. 
and it's not true ransomware per se, but it basically functions as ransomware. There are apps that if you download them and open them, you cannot close them unless you make an in-app purchase. Beautiful, simply beautiful. And of course, who knows whatever the heck else is going on in the background of an app that is, you know, so great in the way it's constructed that it could just be doing, you know, mining whatever else it wants. It's good stuff. Just, just, just amazing. Just amazing. What I don't get, if you've ever talked to a developer of like a current platform, like here, you should go ahead and listen to Luke from Linus Media Group, who currently runs a division of Linus Media Group called Float Plane. Float Plane is basically Patreon video before Patreon video came up, but that took them forever to get off the ground because they were a crew of like six people. They have been struggling forever to get revisions of their app done on the app store because they've been so nitpicky about things like fonts. They micromanaged to that level on the Apple app store, but basically ransomware gets ignored bravo just bravo apple way to show that privacy is key it's amazing amazing it's incredible just how much apple proves again and again they just have no idea at least on the bright side though to try and counteract the fact that um, that you know they let malware on, um, you can get DuckDuckGo on your Mac. Yay! Th- that helps cancel out the fact that there's ransomware on the Mac App Store. <laughs> So yeah, DuckDuckGo is available on the Mac. Unfortunately, you have to get on a waiting list to get access to it. Not going to lie. That is a bit disappointing. But you know, at least the way DuckDuckGo is going about it, they don't have to worry about Apple's BS. DuckDuckGo has to be sideloaded on the on the Mac App Store. So at least then, at least then, you don't have to worry about Apple micromanaging the way DuckDuckGo operates. Meanwhile, in Facebook land, uh, they too are taking a lesson from Apple and figuring out what kind of cut do we want to take on apps on 
the metaverse. What would you expect Facebook to take on a cut of apps on the metaverse? It, it makes you wonder, right? You'd expect 15, take the easy win, 30, basically cut, copy Apple. Nah. How about 47.5%? Almost half. You can't make this up. Now, here's how it got so high. So first off, if you actually guessed 30%, you're actually correct. You're technically actually correct. But, oh wow, we actually got an update. We have an update on on the... uh, We'll get to the update of um, of the housing issue in uh, FF14 in just a bit. Here's what actually happened. So Meta is charging a 30% fee on, on the Meta Quest store. But Horizon Worlds... The foundation platform of the metaverse is charging a 17.5% fee on top of that, on top of that, which adds up to the 47.5%. You just can't even. You just really, really can't even. All right, the breaking news from FF14. I I told you that they they were going to follow up on this really quickly. All right, from from Naoki Yoshida, the producer and director of Final Fantasy 14, I sincerely apologize for the inconvenience caused by the issue with the housing lottery system. Allow me to explain the current situation and our next steps as we are investigating the problem. First, we understand this is a major issue and are prioritizing our investigation into the matter. We are working to identify the issue in the corresponding program. However, as the process is very complex and there are many patterns involved for the lottery conditions, it will require some time to pinpoint the problem. That's kind of unfortunately what I expected. We sincerely apologize for the inconvenience, but we ask for your patience a little while longer and focus on the efforts and the investigation. As we investigate and address the issue, we will be extending the results announcement period which was previously set to end on Wednesday, April 20th, et cetera, et cetera. We will not enter into the next lottery cycle until the investigation is complete and the situation is addressed. We apologize for the inconvenience caused to our players and we'll continue. All right, so they're basically looking into it and the next cycle will not occur until they figure out exactly what happened. Incredible. Absolutely incredible.
But yeah, it's kind of as I feared the system they made for the lottery is just kind of a giant spaghetti code in, or, in order to accomplish what they need because, well, that wonky bit of foundation again rears its head. Now, back to meta. You look at the way they structure themselves. That they want to be this amazing platform that everything's going to develop on. But let me ask you this. When there are tons of other open platforms that you as a developer can go ahead and build on. Why would you pick Meta? Honestly, it still blows me away that Meta is actually still sticking with this weird aesthetic of just everyone in the metaverse only existing from the waist up. Apparently in the metaverse, nothing important happens from the waist down. Um, No one walks on two legs. You just kind of float. I mean, there's nothing... Nothing important below the legs, right? 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 But then on top of that, as a developer, what do you do? Oh, you lose half your money. Half. Any sort of money you'd make on this platform that everyone is suspect of. You lose half. Like, why? (sighs) Oh, well. I thought I had another point to talk about, but now I can't remember what it is because uh, Market Watch has suddenly decided that I hit my limit of articles I could read. Okay, I guess we just won't be informed, and I guess your opinion doesn't matter anymore. Now, one thing that. One thing that kind of just I forgot what my point is. <laughs> I got so sidetracked by a freaking you've reached your article limit. <laughs> Let's just take our break here and I'll go find my point. I think I dropped it somewhere. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation about the metaverse. <laughs> Thank you. 
Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. All right. So, before so we did find a way to uh, actually read the Market Watch article. I don't get a lot of these online papers because not only do they expect you to pay a subscription, but then they litter the whole thing with ads. Like, it is absurd the amount of monetization they want to do and just want to... Oh man, it, it, it's worse than mobile games. But in any case, here's the actual article. It talks about how Meta takes a nearly 50% cut from virtual sales and Apple is calling them out. Freaking Apple is calling out the fact that... Facebook is taking way too much money from its developers. Yeah, you know, the company that will not budge from its 30% cut entirely at all, ever. They are rock solid on it, unless you're a Netflix. Because they know that's where their cash cow is. Holy cow. This, this, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. You know who I'd actually want to be a, a, a you know who I wish I could spy on right now? I, I want to, I wish I was a fly on the wall of Todd Sweeney's place. The guy in charge of Epic, the guy who went ahead and launched a whole lawsuit against Apple because he thought the 30% cut was outrageous. That guy must be losing his mind over this. It's just, it's incredible just how much they want to go ahead and just take so much from them. Now, Meta actually is doing one thing they should have right off the bat. With this Horizon Worlds concept... Horizon Worlds is pretty much like the platform of the social virtual reality that basically Meta is going to be founded on, right? But one of the things I always said was the biggest problem with what Meta was trying to do is the fact that you're only going to be able to sell this to people who have VR. And most people who have VR are tech-savvy early adopters. And now my mother. And unlike my mother, early tech adopters do not trust Facebook at freaking all. So this whole concept of the metaverse and Horizon Worlds basically sounds like a non-starter because you're looking at a subset of a subset of a subset of customers. Well, Meta is working on a web version of Horizon Worlds. One that does not require VR. Why was this not the first thing you were 
worked on. I, I like, I, 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 I don't get it. How? How was this not the first thing you worked on? Wouldn't you have thought if you're going to go ahead and make a, a, a platform, you'd go for the, the lowest common denominator first? How? How does Meta have so many of the world's most brilliant minds and stupidest people and no one thought, wow, maybe we should go ahead and work for the, mo for the biggest common denominator first and then sell the premium version later. You know, like every other successful platform in the world. You would think of all people, Facebook would have figured out you sell to the lowest common denominator. You work the law of large numbers first. I, I just, I just don't, I don't, uh, the, the, uh, uh. This, this causes me physical pain. This is literally causing me physical pain. But here's probably the part that blows me away. about this whole thing, all right? All right, you want to hear the best part? When Horizon's web version launches, the platform fee is only going to be 25%. I, 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 I just, so let me get this straight. To build an asset in the web version, the one that costs less you go ahead and charge 25%. But the one for the version that is the higher end version, the one that is going to naturally have a lower number of people visiting it, the one that requires more effort to develop for, you want to charge almost double to make assets for that platform. I've gone insane. It just happened. It just this moment happened. That's it. Facebook broke me. It, it finally happened. It probably happened before and I forgot about it because anything that Facebook does that makes my brain physically reject reality 
I, I immediately try to purge out my main just for self-sustaining purposes. I, I, I don't get it. If you're willing to go ahead and take only a 25% cut total, because that's what they're implying here. It's a 25% cut total after Horizon's cut and Meta's cut. Why the heck wouldn't you do that on the other side of it too? What is with this inconsistency? I just can't even. Like, imagine this. By doing this, here's what it means for the end user. Let's say I create... Let's say I go ahead and create a virtual asset inside the metaverse. And, and we're going to call this, we'll, 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 let's pretend I, I make a cat boy asset. Uh, you, you purchase this, this asset and he just follows, follows you around and, be, and, and is adorable. All right. If you get my asset on the web version, which by the way, I'm not doing this. Just in case it's not clear because I have no idea how. If you get on the web version, we'll say I charge 10 bucks. You know what ends up happening if you go for the VR version? I'm going to end up having to charge, what would it, roughly $20 for the VR version in order to make the same amount of money. You as the customer are going to be incredibly confused. Because why is this one twice the price when I'm basically getting the exact same asset and it's doing the exact same thing? It's just one of them is in the web and I can just left click drag to go and view it where the other one I have to turn my head while wearing the VR headset. Why is there a giant price discrepancy? It's going to look really bad to the end user and then, then it's actually bad for the developer because I'm now charging double the price and giving no additional value just because these cut numbers, which doesn't matter to Meta, there is no reason for them to go ahead and have such a huge price cut difference between the web version and the VR version because their cost of it is pretty much exactly the same. I don't get it. I, I really, really don't get it. Like, look, Facebook, just make it, if you're willing to go 25%, make it 25% on both. I get Facebook has to take their cut. I wish the cut would be way smaller. Though, you know what this really tells me? The fact the cut's so high. They don't have faith in their product. 
if you don't even have faith in your own product that you're going to make sure you get such a large chunk out of every asset, that's saying a lot. But you know what? Um, there's at least a Meta Quest 2 coming out. Honestly, does anyone actually even care about the former, the, the artist formerly known as Oculus anymore? It is actually amazing how Oculus, the company that first invented modern VR, has now been reduced to nothing. And like the specs of the Oculus, or the Meta, or I'm sorry, the Meta Quest 2 Pro, formerly known as the Oculus, the specs are decent. Everything initially tells us it's going to be fine. But we all know what's going to end up happening. It's going to require a Facebook account in order to function. It's going to be a locked garden in and of itself. Actual VR enthusiasts, the, the customer base that's actually going to care about a pro-level headset, are going to be turned off on it because it's made by Facebook and is going to require you to use Facebook's ecosystem rather than one that you want to use. It is incredible how few people actually care that the MetaQuest 2 is coming out. Then again, it might not actually come out because, well, the chip shortage is just getting worse and worse despite the signs becoming better. And Ethereum 2.0 is being delayed even more. What is Ethereum 2.0, you might ask? Well... Ethereum is first off the easiest way to get any gamer to punch you in the face. You just mention the word Ethereum and then a PC gamer will barge into your room and punch you in the face and leave angrily. The reason it hasn't happened to me yet is because I live in a secret underground bunker that no one can find. But the thing is with Ethereum, it uses what's called. Oh, God, I'm now mixing up the two terms. I want to say right now it uses proof of work, which basically encourages. Giant, massive, huge. GPU mining farms.
However, they want to switch to a proof of stake model. Meaning that the amount of Ethereum that's awarded out is more split towards the number of people that are actually supporting the chain rather than just raw hash rate power or something that affair. I'm not going to lie. The whole thing of Ethereum really just has me furious. Just because... Right now, the state of cryptocurrency is just one that infuriates everyone. The proof-of-stake model, rather than the proof-of-work model, would mean many of the giant GPU farms would be worth significantly less and thus would help alleviate the GPU shortage greatly. But nowadays, cryptocurrency is basically just used for massive, massive amounts of... fraud it's the only way to phrase it the whole nft gig it's mostly powered by ethereum and thus fraud ransomware attacks oh just paying ethereum it is just maddening how these sort of cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, like Bitcoin were launched initially with a positive libertarian idea idea behind it and then it is immediately used for malicious intent. But because the creators and everyone behind the pro- the platforms are very, very strong libertarians, well, why bother doing anything about it, right? What's the point? We just want to go ahead and make sure everything's being done, work work very well and you know what as long as I ignore all the problems it's fine it's fine it's fine speaking of strong libertarians let's talk about Elon Musk so for those who want who want to get quickly caught up on the issue oh by the way in that whole rant about about Ethereum and NFTs did I mention they're they're not going to be implementing uh, proof of I think I didn't Ethereum is delaying the um, the switch from proof-of-work to proof-of-stake until after their June deadline. It was originally supposed to happen in June. It's now being delayed again. They haven't mentioned a date. All right, Elon Musk. All right, here's the story. So, last week, Elon bought a 9.2% stake in Twitter. After doing so, 
the board offered Elon Musk a position on the Twitter board. Elon Musk accepted it. And you thought that would be the end of the story. Well, unfortunately, Elon Musk is a chaos gremlin. And thus, early this past week, Elon declined the position on the Twitter board. People then speculate it's because Elon's planning a hostile takeover. At the time, I said, I have no idea. Elon Musk is a chaos gremlin. It's impossible to predict what the guy's going to do. Well, it turns out this time, it was actually very easy to predict what Elon was going to do. Because, guess what? He tried to do a hostile takeover of Twitter, offering $43 billion. Uh, uh, he tried offering $53. You, sir, are an idiot. I actually cannot believe how many so-called experts actually thought Elon Musk was offering $43 for all of Twitter. Like, that hurts my brain way more than Elon Musk and him being a chaos gremlin. No, Elon Musk offered $53 a share. Very complete takeover, which means there end up being a $43 billion offer. I, I still can't believe that some people were just. That, that that hurts my brain the most, to be perfectly honest. But in any case. That offer was then thrown out there. $43 billion for all of Twitter. All right. Now. Right off the bat, the blue checkmark crowd of Twitter, which, holy cow, the blue checkmarks of Twitter, if you ever want to read a hot take, go look up someone verified on Twitter. Just read any random tweet. from anyone with a blue check mark on Twitter and just go, wow, they have brain worms. That's what it looks like. But yeah, the entire blue check mark crowd thought that this was terrible. This was an affront to, uh, to everything Twitter stands for. It's like, first off, you know what Twitter stood for before? Everyone just speaking their mind. You know what Twitter stands for now? Everyone speaking their mind unless 
the administration of Twitter disagrees with it, and then in which you are very quickly silenced. Like, it is actually really creepy and weird, the amount of stuff that, uh, that gets censored on Twitter. It's really bizarre. But, Twitter then responded to Elon Musk's attempt to buy it out. Oh, I have the wrong article. Whoops. Well, we'll first talk about what this article actually has here. Twitter then... Well, well, well Elon Musk... Um, then very poorly... This is actually the worst thing Elon could have done. He then talked about his plans for Twitter in the middle of his attempt to buy all of Twitter. He intended to take the company private, which has the potential to cause some economic problems for the Twitter company, mainly from debt holders of Twitter. He then planned on making it a free speech haven, which actually that part about it, I do agree as long as you are in compliance with, you know, law. As long as you don't go ahead and just basically allow poll to just run the show. In one way to say. The other thing he also offered was. Open sourcing the Twitter algorithm. Right. That's that's a little weird. And a lot of these is just. Um. Really just Elon Musk being the chaos gremlin that I keep calling him? Well, the Twitter board, you would just kind of expect the Twitter board would just reject the offer. I mean, realistically, in order for Elon Musk to gain control of the company... He would need to purchase 51%. It is why I said last week that despite what a lot of people said, he did not have a controlling stake in the company with 9%. 9% doesn't control anything without 42 more percent. But a lot of the other major stakeholders were against Elon's ideas, so it looked like just on its face, there was no chance of the hostile takeover actually taking place. Well, Twitter doubled down on it by introducing what is being called a poison pill measure, meaning that if 
anyone were to acquire more than 15% of Twitter's shares, it would then create a trigger in which it would allow the board to buy more shares. Which seems like a logical sort of reaction to have. If someone's trying to take over, a method like this would help drastically reduce the chance that a a chaos gremlin like Elon Musk could perform a hostile takeover and acquire 51% of the the shares and take control of the company. Except this opens Twitter to massive lawsuit claims from current shareholders. Financially, this has the potential of being more economically devastating to Twitter than Elon Musk trying to control and bring Twitter private. This almost comes off, and granted, I am not an economics expert. Do not come to me ever for economic advice. But you have a company. Yes, I have a company, and I have an accountant that I actually go to for economic advice. This just comes off as Twitter chopping off their foot to clip a toenail. But you know, it's it's their company. They can go ahead and do whatever they'd like, I guess. We're going to take another break here. When we come back, I want to talk about games that are expiring on the PS3. <laughs> Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. All right, so Sony had an interesting bug on their systems. Apparently, digital PS3 and PS Vita games were unplayable because they expired. Slow freaking clap. How? How do you mess this up? So, what was going on was that certain games were just, um, yeah, claimed they were expired and that they expired way back in 1969, very suddenly. So, it's clearly a glitch. It is clearly, clearly a glitch. And Sony's answer to this is, so far, we haven't heard much. There actually is a decent chance they followed up but we just haven't heard yet. But 
Yeah. A lot of people then asked, why does why why can this game expire at all? And the answer is very simple. They put in a time long ago. They put in a time system so that you could try a demo and that the game would eventually expire unless you bought the full version. It makes perfect sense. But, you know, it doesn't help if it's you know, full versions that expired. Some of the games that expired were actually, oddly enough, a lot of Square Enix games. The most notable being Final Fantasy VI, Chrono Trigger, and Chrono Cross. That expired. So it's all classic Square Enix games that just suddenly expired. Someone in chat is saying this is related to uh, Unix time. That Unix time starts on January 1st, 1970. So something happened that basically had the date set to a zero in Unix time, which would be December 31st, 1969. Nice. Whoops. That's pretty awkward. Other people on Reddit showed that other oddball games such as Rune Factory Oceans, Super Street Fighter 4, Arcade Edition, and Gex Enter the Gecko were also just suddenly expired. Yeah, hopefully Sony fixes this very, very soon. Apple is looking into manufacturing the iPhone in India. And this move is actually really smart for two reasons. One, Apple is trying to actually get a serious foothold in India, which is a developing technological market. And since, you know, this is actually also the other reason why Apple continues to push the iPhone SE. India being a developing market, they want to go ahead and have a cheap iPhone out there. So trying to manufacture in India can help make the iPhone even cheaper in India, as well as create some jobs. And Lord knows if there's one thing I have heard over and over and over again from scammers in India that I keep calling out, they just say, what else am I supposed to do? Well, now you can make iPhones, which is a much more, which is a much better job than being a thief. That is one thing that always blows me away with scammers. Is they, they, they have somehow convinced themselves. And I'm willing to bet that it's like part of the culture that brings in a lot of uh, these downtrodden youths into these scamming call centers. 
that they have no choice but to take on the life of a criminal. And then, of course, it doesn't help at all that law enforcement in India does nothing about these, but I digress. The other reason Apple is trying to push the iPhone 13 being made somewhere other than where it currently is, is because currently where it's being made is Taiwan. And there's a lot of growing fears that China is ready to push and just claim Taiwan as part of its own, since it's just been telling itself for years that Taiwan is basically China anyway. So Apple's trying to get itself less dependent on China. Yeah, the world's scary right now. Really, really scary. So, I mean, I can't fault Apple on this at all. And actually, for the purposes of the people in India, I'd say it's probably a win-win. I'd rather see these jobs in the U.S., I mean, of course, but, you know, this will most likely help. A lot. Meanwhile, as Apple plans to ramp up production for iPhones, Vivo announces the X-Fold, which has as its key feature two ultrasonic fingerprint scanners. So you have a folding screen, a big camera ray on the back, Two places to stick your finger to go ahead and unlock it, phrasing. And, um, 66-watt charging, a 4,600-milliamp battery, a Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. It's, It's shaping up to be a great phone. It also has the other unique feature of not being allowed in the U.S. at all. Oh. Hmm. Well, all right then. I swear a lot of these Chinese phone manufacturers they either A do not bring their phone to the Western market just out of spite because us here in America will not give uh, any other country access to a good Netflix account. Or it's also, you know, out of spite because of what America did to uh, the sketchy outfit of Huawei. Probably the latter, but part of me does find mild amusement in thinking that some pushback on good cheap phones is being done to the U.S. solely because... We won't get them any cool stuff in Netflix. Am I the only one that finds amusement in that thought process? No? Okay. There is an FCC filing for four 
different Pixel 6a models. So there's probably going to be a Pixel 6a. Now, the interesting thing about it is the fact that millimeter wave, which is the form of 5G that everyone hypes and fears about, looks like it's going to be available very wide. Wait, not very wide. Uh, optional is the one I phrased. What the heck was... What the heck was I thinking about? Anyway, um, this is actually really interesting just because the whole point of the pixel a lineup is to reduce costs that is the sole purpose of the 6a lineup or the or the pixel a lineup that and to provide a headphone jack because no one else will actually wait did the pixel 5a have a headphone jack Now that I think about it, I think the 5A did not have a headphone jack. I think that actually was like a big problem with it. No, it did have a headphone jack. Okay. All right, in, in any case, will the 6A have a headphone jack? I don't know. The A line, the Pixel A lineup, God, I feel so scatterbrained all of a sudden. The Pixel, six, the Pixel A lineup, as I said, is always focused on price. They want to accomplish as low a price as possible. All right. So the fact that millimeter wave is option is an optional feature does make me wonder how much cheaper is it to have a non millimeter wave antenna in there versus having it? Is it really that much? I don't know. I mean, it can't be like, nickel and diming all the way down to the lowest price point because if that was the case they don't admit the headphone jack that's a whole two cents you saved but of course I mean I'd much much rather pay a couple uh, like a couple dollars more for a phone and have it have a headphone jack than to not have it. I am really curious actually now, what is the cost difference between having millimeter wave and not? The other thing is also, I actually don't know how widespread millimeter wave is. In my neck of the woods, we don't have millimeter wave, but we do have a straight 5G. Actually, the straight 5G around here is actually pretty good has anyone actually tried millimeter wave anyone Any, anyone in this in this area probably not i swear millimeter wave only exists in 
I was just going to run a quick uh, speed test, and now speed test wants to go ahead and say, let's review your privacy options, and the next button won't work, so I can't even run a speed test. Sweet. It's just great. Ah, oh well. Let's instead just talk about uh, Netflix adding the most essential feature ever. Someone in chat asks, isn't millimeter wave only really good for long distances? No, millimeter wave is very short distances. Like, so millimeter wave 5G is only good up to about two blocks away from the antenna and you cannot break line of sight with the antenna. Yeah, it's it's ex- yeah, it's exactly backwards. And granted, with there being like eighteen different flavor flavors of millimeter weight or uh, of five G in general, I don't blame anyone for not knowing. Good luck keeping any of this. Look, just talk about a phone with five G. It scrambled my brain. <laughs> but it's supposed to give speeds of like two gigabits. And I just wonder how much of that is just a a, lot, a high number and how much of it is actually like, wow, that is actually really fast. But anyway, Netflix brings us the feature we always wanted. Are you ready? Are you ready? The thing you always wanted? In a world where YouTube only gives you a like button and a dislike button that does nothing, in a world where Facebook only gives you a like, Twitter gives you a like and a downvote button, but only in certain situations, Netflix gives you what you've always wanted. A double thumbs up button. Who asked for this? So now anything you vote, anything in Netflix, you can either thumbs down, thumbs up, or double thumbs up. Man, that's how Netflix is really going to go ahead. And and revolutionize the world. Oh man, they can go ahead and offer so many more recommendations with the systems because they now have two thumbs up. Hey, do you know that YouTube used to be able to let you uh, rate videos one on a one to five star ratio scale? That means way back in the day, YouTube was super innovative. They had a double thumbs down, a thumbs down, a thumbs up, a double thumbs up, and a triple thumbs up button. Whoa. And now we've gone full circle with the three-star system from Netflix, while YouTube continues to just...
just just lose their mind. Just absolutely lose their mind. Chat says I've now outed myself as an ancient old man. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm actually 69,000 years old. I I have I am an immortal be- I am actually a Highlander. I have roamed the earth for thousands of years. And somehow, in my art of great stupidity, no one has chopped off my head yet. I don't know how it's happened. It might have something to do with wearing a uh, a, a scarf. Anyway, with no good transition from that to literally anything else, let's just talk about the Ryzen 5800X3D. It is, in fact, the last high-end chip for the AM4 platform. The king of gaming, right? Right? It's, it's, it's the new king of gaming. Really, really cool gamer chip. Right? Yeah, no, not really, actually. Because, unfortunately for, AM, for AMD, Intel... actually got their act together and Intel does have the king of gaming performance in a chip what AMD does have here however is a very good gaming chip that is very efficient compared to Intel's absolute insano inferno that they have put out but you can't overclock it. Which still seems like a really weird omission. Okay, well, technically you can overclock it, but you really, really shouldn't. So, in the end, what does this new chip mean for AMD? Well, it's complicated, actually. Because this is the last chip that's going to be in the AM4 platform. The next chips AMD makes are going to be on the AM5 platform with a completely different socket called AM5. So this chip will be the ultimate chip you can put on the, on the old platform. That's just it. Meanwhile, a new platform is on the horizon. Early adopters will want to jump on board that platform. And budget builders see the wall that you're going to hit. So if you're a new PC builder, what do you do on the AMD side? Do you stick with the old AM4 platform knowing that this is the best it gets? Or do you wait for the new platform, hope that it's available, and then also hope that it's stable out of the box? Because when these new platforms kind of launch, they are kind of hilariously unstable. It's something to consider when you're going and building your system.
But in the end, that is a decision that you, as the PC builder, will have to make. Or you just look at the fact that that uh, Apple is making new M2 chips. Who, who could have seen that coming? After making the M1 chip, Apple will make the M2 chip. Whoa. According to Bloomberg, the company is testing out at least nine new Macs with four different M2-based chips. You want to know how you can tell Bloomberg just doesn't think? How many M1 chips are there right now? There's four. How many Macs are there right now? There's the Mac Mini, the MacBook Air, the MacBook Pro, the MacBook Pro, the MacBook Pro, the iMac, the Mac Studio. The iPad. Oh yeah, and then the Mac Pro that was announced. That they that they said they're going to make. Only the biggest brains over at Bloomberg. The moment I see these analysts getting this kind of crazy money to go ahead and make these kind of bold predictions, it really does make my brain hurt. It really, really does. Because it's just like, no, there's going to be four new M2 chips. Like what? The M2? The M2 Pro, the M2 Max, and the M2 Ultra. Just like there's an M1, M1 Pro, M1 Max, and M1 Ultra. No way. Except even then, there's actually more than that. Because there's the super cut down version of the M1 that's in the iPad Pro. There's the cut down version of the M1 that's in the iMac. The full blown version of the M1 that's in the iMac. There's the slightly more cut down version. You get the idea. I can go down the list, but there's at least 30 different M1s that are out there. So here's a bold prediction for you. Apple's going to make at least 10 Macs and devices that use the M2. And it could contain upwards to 30 different variants of the M2 chip. Whoa. At least when I make a prediction at the end of the year, I actually sow some courage and actually try some creative out there predictions and give my logic for why they exist rather than look at the product line and add one. 
freaking geniuses working at Bloomberg. Holy cow. It's like literal verge level of thinking happening at Bloomberg. Why do we take mainstream media seriously again? I honestly don't know. It is actually maddening at this point of how this sort of stuff happens. We're going to take our last break here when we come back. I have some weird stories to go to, including quite possibly the craziest mod done to a Steam Deck yet. Someone in chat says we take them seriously. Yeah, we take Bloomberg seriously. I don't know how we take Bloomberg seriously, but we somehow do. It, it is just... It's, it's crazy. It is crazy how much they think they're so big, and yet it, it's... It blows me away that they can dress themselves. It really is. How they do it, I'll never know. Uh. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. So, the Steam Deck is a interesting little product, right? It, it runs an AMD SoC. It has a battery. You can upgrade its storage. You know, it's a very interesting product and one in which you can, in fact, work on. You can, in fact, open it up and tinker with it a little bit well here's the thing storage wise you have an m2 slot which is pci express and an sd sd card reader so you can put your storage on the sd card reader and your os on the sd card and you have an m2 slot open which is a pci express slot Which then means you too can be an absolute crazy lunatic person and hook up a GTX 3090 to your portable game player. Someone had to do it, right? Someone was going to do it. Someone was going to go ahead and convert the, the, the M.2 slot into an external GPU slot. It, it was going to happen eventually. Someone in chat says it's the ultimate dock. No, it is not the ultimate dock. Because you can't undock it. Ever. Someone else in chat says, I'm surprised Linus didn't do it day one. I actually am too. I expected Linus to do it like day two of owning the Steam Deck. But yeah, um, by hooking up a external GTX, what, uh, I, I just said a 3090. I actually don't know what they used. The one that this particular modder used was an RTX 6900 XT. Nice. And increased the performance of the Steam Deck by 
incredible. Just incredible. I could have swore there might have been someone else who did it with an RTX 3090. Someone in chat says the power consumption has also been increased by 500%. I assume for this mod, they went ahead and hooked up an external... They'd had to use an external power supply, right? There's no way that that little Steam Deck is going to survive by increasing the amount of power going through the board by that much. And also the the six the six and eight pins... There's no way they went ahead and did soldering to somehow force the main board to add those auxiliary power connectors. There, there's no way that board could handle it. They had to use it. Yeah, they did. They did. They used a... Actually, I don't think the article even says what they used for the external power supply. Yeah, they just said that the adapter itself requires external power here provided by a standard ATX power supply running both rails to both the adapter and the graphics card plugged into it. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured had to happen. I'm assuming it's something like a six or seven or watt. Someone in chat says they should have just gone full bore and and water cooled the GPU on top of that. Oh, what a mad lad. What a mad lad. Almost as mad as the man who bought an NFT of Jack Dorsey's first tweet for $2.9 million and then tried to sell it. The man tried to sell it for $48 million and then got... Basically, the Pawn Stars treatment of being told the best I could do is 6,800. Yeah. Anyone with a working brain, when they saw NFTs first start opening up for these opening bids of just stupid high amounts of money. NFTs, NFTs when they were first being introduced were selling for like 500K. This one for 2.9 mil. Another one, the um, an NFT of the, um, of the evil girl in front of the burning building went for like another 1.5 mil or something like that. Like all these prices to anyone with any kind of concept of what money is worth looked at the prices the NFTs were going for when they were new, when they were a brand new concept, before they were used for hilarious amounts of fraud, could tell that this market was way overvalued. There was no way any one of these NFTs, when they first launched, were going to increase in value. My own initial thought when NFTs first launched was everyone who buys them first, we're going to lose money. Eventually, 
the market would cool down to like a couple hundred or a couple thousand per NFT. And then maybe they'd increase it in value later on to like 10K. Unfortunately, at that time, that was back when I was naive and didn't think and thought that NFTs actually had more to it than just being, you know, a serial number and a link. But this is what it's gone to. One of the early adopters is out. Almost one hundred percent of his investment legitimate uses of nfts everyone to lose stupid amounts of money in other news, Microsoft is working on a smaller Xbox Series X console. The concept device is going to be pretty much exactly like the Xbox Series X is right now, but in a smaller form factor. This is not surprising at all. Almost every console cycle, there is the initial launch of the console, and then as the exact kind of SOC the chip runs the that the system's built on can be built more efficiently. The whole thermal solution, everything gets smaller, and the whole console can be can be sold smaller. It's not surprising that this is being done, but here's the real question: Will the Xbox Series X still be in its super awkward form factor. Like, oddly enough, I don't hate the form factor of the Xbox Series X. Heck, you want to hear something that's really going to blow your mind? I would not mind having a gaming PC that is in the exact form factor of the Xbox Series X. Just like a little mini ITX board, it's I.O. on the, on one of the sides, not the top, not the bottom, on one of the sides. And it just being a small little tower that I could just have on the desk. I'd love it. It'd basically just be, you know, the gaming PC equivalent of what the Mac Studio is right now. Someone in chat says the PS5 needs needs this treatment ASAP. I have not seen the PS5 in person yet, but I have heard that it is massive. Everyone talks about how, oh, it just looks like a home router. From what I understand, this sucker is bigger than any home router out there, except for the one that I'm building, because the one I'm working on right now is going to be 1U. Full 1U. Because I'm a crazy person. Yeah. But, you know, it just... 
Yeah, the fact that there's an Xbox Series X that is going to be in the works surprises literally no one. I'm more surprised that the P- that the Xbox Series X actually does work. Someone in chat asked, am I hooking it up to Starlink? So the plan I'm actually working on for my own home network, and we're late enough to the podcast that the only people who who are still around might actually care about this sort of thing is um I currently use a Netgear like Nighthawk router which was a really good router at the time but it flakes out at random intervals. And I got so bad one day I couldn't even stream, but it it's mostly holding fine now. So I decided what I'm going to do is either a convert the Nighthawk into an access point or just get a wireless access point and then convert one of my spare servers using PFSense into a router. Just straight up converting an actual full-blown server into a router. Because all you need for a router is a PC that has two Ethernet ports. Well, good news. I have a spare Dell R320 uh, 1U rack server. I've got on order a very specific Xeon to go in there. And just pop the CPU in. That's it. Someone in chat says you only need one Ethernet port. From what I understand, you need two. One to go from the modem to the router and then one to go to the switch to actually feed data to the switch person in chat says no they're only using one they're using a managed switch and and vlans so how is the router connected to the switch then If it's not via Ethernet. Via Ethernet. So how is data going from the modem to the router? Via Ethernet. So you need two Ethernets. It's either that or you're doing really silly nonsense with the switch and using a much higher end switch than needed to go ahead and port the modem to the switch to then just direct path that to the router, in which case you're cutting your router bandwidth in half. Like, you could go that route, but that's kind of a... Why? Why are you done this? (laughs) 
person then in chat asked, that, and that's an issue because because you're cutting your bandwidth in half. How fast it, they ask how fast my internet. My internet can get as fast as the gigabit ethernet ports. They have gigabit ethernet here and I'd rather future-proof myself to not do that. Plus on top of that, the server has two ethernet. Actually, technically the server has three ethernet ports. Because it has two standard gigabit ethernets and then it also has an IPMI. Then get a 2.5 gigabit. I am not going to go ahead and get a special managed switch. And then when the switch goes out, really get hosed. Oh, God, no. I would much rather, hands down, for a home set. It might be different in an enterprise environment because you got redundant switches and everything. In which case, then you're still going to have multiple Ethernets on your home router or your home in massive air quotes router anyway as just redundancies but in a home setup right there i'd rather use an unmanaged switch and if the switch dies just chunk chunk done just pop out pop it back in and not even bother programming the new the new switch for the madness that i've done Person in chat says, manage 2.5 gigabit switches aren't that expensive anymore. Considering the budget that I get this switch on, um, they are infinitely more expensive. All right, managed. We'll even say one, we'll even say gigabit switch. Manage gigabit switch. I do not trust the 24 port gigabit managed switch for 99 cents. I'm cheap, but I'm not that cheap. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of these are, they're actually not bad. Like between 50 and 100 bucks. Whereas the 24 port unmanaged switch that's in my, that's in my rack right now is uh like it was 15 bucks but i also have access to like a local uh vendor specifically for specifically for enterprise grade equipment 2.5 gigabit port 12 managed port is 200 euros Yeah, no. No. Dude, 200 bucks? I paid I paid 150 for the server. Oh god. Oh no, absolutely not. No, I absolutely would not do that. Look, I look, I might be a crazy person with a freaking rack in a spare bedroom, but I am a very frugal crazy person with a with a server rack in their spare bedroom. 
Like I'm actually proud of of how well stacked that sucker is, and how and how much its its grand total costs. Honestly, the whole cost of that thing is still under one grand. It might not be anymore. I'd have to do an inventory check of it. Oh, by the way, uh, Sony and Lego are raising two billion dollars for Epic in order to make a metaverse project. Speaking of crazy people. Sony and Lego want to build a metaverse project on Epic. You, you know what it's going to be? You know, it, it's so easy to figure out what this plan is. What the heck kind of game do you think Sony and Lego are going to go ahead and raise this amount of money on the Epic platform? It's going to be a Roblox clone. And you know what? I'm actually curious. Do you think a Lego Roblox clone could outperform Roblox? As far as like user base and whatnot. Like, I think it could. It actually has a decent chance of success. Like, it's actually possible. The question is, though, but why? Niantech is in the news again. Making a new game. A new virtual pet game. And it's called Peridot. Which I've probably mispronounced. I'm not going to lie. I don't know what to think of this. Like, Niantic, for the most part, they've really only had two games that people know about. Ingress and Pokemon Go. And both of them were basically the exact same game. So, I mean, a kind of... pet game like this I don't know I really don't don't know Sona chat says those two games even use the exact same data I believe that to be a hundred percent true I would not be surprised at all if oh I actually remember someone mentioning that um the ingress capture points and the gyms in Pokemon were exact were at the exact same locations too I would not doubt at all that, that that it was basically the exact same game. Even down to like the source code and everything with just like minor tweaks to go ahead and put a different coat of paint on it. 
Like, I remember someone mentioning it. This, however, from Niantic does appear to be a completely different experience. But... Would you really be surprised if it was just Pokemon Go again? <laughs> With just pet stores instead of gyms? Instead of capturing Pokemon or access points or whatnot, that it's just somehow Pokemon Go Tamagotchi edition, except without 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 the Pokemon aspect of it. Honestly, though, let's assume this for a minute. Let's assume for a minute that this Peridot is a unique game that it's a brand new unique game has no correlation at all with ingress or pokemon go and it is just like a new kind of semi-popular tamagotchi sort of app for your phone first off i'd actually consider getting it just because it'd be a game on my phone that isn't trying to predatorily get at my wallet like like some sort of fever goblin like clawing at my wallet at every chance it can. Like all like even if it was a, even if it was a $5 game, I'd probably consider it. Someone in chat asked, "Are you sure about that?" Yes, I am sure I would consider it. If it is a unique game. There are contingencies in what I've said here. Big ifs. And if it is all of that. How long will it take? For Pokemon to go. Hey Niantic buddy pal friend. You remember how you went ahead and took one of your. Big. Games like ingress put our skin on it i want you to do the same make a pokemon version of that peridot thing you got there you know they would jump at the at at the chance to do that and you know what it would it explode i guarantee it it would explode but again this is if there's no giant catch there is most likely going to be a giant catch because when it comes to mobile games, there's always a catch. There always, always is. Speaking of catches, I bring you the last bird, the last story of the day, the weirdest story of the week. And no, it does not involve Elon Musk, the chaos gremlin. I bring you chemical haptics that could bring the sensations of cold and heat to VR. Oh no.
Yes, by using these chemical pads, it could transmit various sensations to the user of the VR headset to stimulate touch. Heat, which is another form of touch. Cold, which is another form of touch. It's basically going to go ahead and provide many sensations that currently current VR is lacking. Because currently current VR is just basically duct taping a screen to your forehead and use a controller. Now, of course, chat immediately stole my joke because it is the most obvious joke in all the world, the instant you say we can simulate touch in VR. Can it be used for pornography? And for some reason, the University of Chicago just doesn't want to go ahead and answer that question just yet. For you see, the University of Chicago realizes that the world is not ready for the answer. That and most likely the guy testing to see if it can be used for pornography doesn't want to get out of his room just yet and show everyone what it can absolutely do. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Thank you so much for listening, and I do encourage you to check out the daily podcast, The Early Burb Briefing, which airs every single morning at anchor.fm slash early B-I-R-B briefing. And check out my Twitch page, twitch.tv slash Eagle Falcon. Take care, and I hope you have a great day. Look, I'm not going to judge the University of Chicago here at all, but I guarantee you wherever the heck their room is that they are testing this thing, it is going to have the most unique smell in the entire world. And it is not going to be a pleasant smell. Holy cow. Can you imagine a bunch of sweaty nerds in VR testing various sensations? Just... Just burn the room. Just burn it. There's no saving that room. It's all over.